0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. This is one of those weeks where I've now spoken about this Parsha four times and written about the Parsha once. And I don't like to use the same material multiple times because, A, that's not as fun for me, and, B, if people are reading the same thing that I'm talking about, it then becomes repetitive. So what I'm about to teach you is something that I had never paid attention to before, and so my hope is that you also have never paid attention to this before. I knew that I wanted to talk about something that was interesting and also something that could connect us back to Israel both for the sake of Ellie's birthday and the things that I know are important to him and his family, and also because of the world, and it's hard to speak right now about anything going on without somehow connecting it back to, to where many of our hearts are landing these days. Rabbi David Kasher, for many, many years, had a, what I would call now a blog post, but it was like a, a website called Parsha Nut, because if you say it in Hebrew, it's parshanut. nut which is a play on words, um, a very kind of nerdy Jewish play on words, and he, for those of you who don't know who Rabbi David Kasher is, is a very good friend of mine. He was at Icar for many years. He's now the director of Hadar West Coast, which, by the way, this room, when it is dedicated, will have its first Beit Midrash night with Hadar, um, and Rabbi Kasher will be part of that, of that opening. The 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 magic in the different pieces that he wrote is that he would come up with kind of these very glossed over pieces of each Parsha and bring them way to life. I mean, really brought them out in such a way that it was magical. I was at coffee with him this past week, and I won't tell you the context because he's going to write about it for next week, but the Torah that he's teaching for next week is some of the best Torah I've heard on Parsha Bo, so maybe I'll steal it and teach it to you next week. There's... A point at which, in the Parsha, we go from hearing of God's outstretched arm and using the strength of God's hand to just God's finger inflicting a plague on the people. I had never, ever thought about that before. There was nothing in my consciousness, reading through the plagues, that I thought, oh, wow, I wonder what appendage is being used for the plagues. But Rabbi Kasher brought it to light in such a way that I wanted to take you through it. So on, on I put page numbers, didn't I? Did I put page numbers? No. They didn't show up. Very good. I did put page numbers on the on the dock. Um, so if you're at home and watching, you do have page numbers, so that's, that's interesting. Um, we're on the side that says Exodus six six. Uh, this was going to be the first time that I ever put page numbers on a source sheet, so I was very proud of myself. But no, alas, no, there's, the so, there's a two on the bottom. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, so the one is just missing. All right. So we're going to read a bit further back. Um, this is all from this parsha, but a bit further back in the parsha, and then we're going to really land on Exodus chapter eight verse fifteen. So. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisements is how they how they translate it. The most important part of this for our context is an outstretched arm. Okay, Exodus 6-7, I will take you to be my people, I will be your God, and you shall know that I, Adonai, am the God who freed you from the labors of the Egyptians. With an outstretched arm, right? It was all done very powerfully, with lots of koach, lots of strength, and the reason that outstretched arm is used is because a hand is probably not as strong as thinking of an entire arm, right? Just biologically, there's more muscles in the rest of your arm than if you just have a hand. Now the, the verse that we're gonna we're gonna really focus on. Vayamru ha chartumim el paro. And the magician said to Pharaoh, Etzba Elohim he. That was done with the finger of God. By the finger of God. Vechizak lev paro lo veloshama alehem. And God's heart was strengthened, and he did not hear them. Ka'asher diber Adonai, which is what God had assumed, which is what God had told them. So Pharaoh's what? Pharaoh's heart. Yes, what did I say? God's heart? Oh, I'm a little Freudian. Pharaoh's heart became strong, and he did not hear them, which is what God had said. God had said, God's not gonna listen. Uh, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. Why is it important that we mention that it's the finger of God? This is the plague of lice, just to give you a bit of context. Why is it important that we talk about the finger of God as opposed to an outstretched arm? Thoughts, yeah. Interesting. Okay, great. So maybe, maybe the idea here is that with each plague, we get a bit more intense. And so though the plague of blood and frogs came before this one, maybe now we're starting to really understand that there is going to be, um, there's going to be intensity that's going to come from this point until the 10th plague, and that it needs to be done with precision and therefore with with added strength. Very Interesting. Interesting very, very interesting. And none of the rabbis say that. So that's a very interesting take that, that maybe the magicians are going back to Pharaoh and saying, don't, don't worry. It's not going to be that bad. It's just his finger, right? It can't be his whole arm. It's just his finger. Don't worry your pretty little head. It's going to be totally fine. It's just his finger. Yes. Yeah, Great. So, Most of the rabbis do say that, right? That there is something about the fact that for us, God doesn't need to be seen in these big, magical uh, scenes, right? These these one-act plays, right? We don't need to actually see God in the ways that we interacted with God, for example, during creation. Now we're really interested in the God that can do the little things for us, can make something happen for us that is... Not necessarily as big and flashy, but has real importance and and um, uh, um, let's just stick with importance. I can't think of the other word. Yeah, Michael, well. awesome, great. So let's go to Rashi. Um, I'm going to pretend like I don't see other other hands. Um, th- there's. Rashi says exactly the same thing, right? Rashi is saying what Michael just said, which is this plague is not caused by sorcery. This isn't a plague that's caused by any kind of magic. When God uses God's outstretched arm, right, which we'll also see later on when the sea is split, that feels like magic, right? But when, when it's being done with precision of a finger, it's not sorcery. And Rashi is also explaining the magicians couldn't do this one. The magicians turned. If you're interested in in this idea of the magicians turning the water into blood, read the Taste of Torah that I wrote this past week. the 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 blood the water was turned to blood by the Israelites. Well, by Moshe and Aaron, and then the Egyptian magicians were able to find some water. I'm not going to give away what I wrote. Um, by and then they can turn that into blood. Also, same with the frogs. Pharaoh said, can't you guys also do that? And they said, sure. And then they brought more, more frogs, which is, by the way, so silly, right? Why inflict yourselves with, with more just to show that you're just as powerful? But again, read my taste of Torah and you can hear what I think about that. This is what Rashi is saying is, wow, there might, this might be the scariest because it's so precise, right? Think about an atom bomb versus a drone dropping a bomb, right? The precision, the, 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 the intensity of something so small could be much scarier than something so big. Okay. So Ramban then says, they said it to minimize the situation. So that is similar, similar to what you are getting at here, that it's the finger of God and not the, not the hand of God. And so this is just a small thing. So that Th- that is that is similar to what you're to what you're getting at, though they're not necessarily doing it to kind of play Pharaoh, so to speak, which is, I like your interpretation better. They're doing it because they really do believe that if it's just the finger, then it then it might not be that big of a deal. But had they been doing it to manipulate Pharaoh into thinking everything is going to be fine, we should still try to fight back, which was your uh, commentary, which I think is brilliant. Then then yeah, that would be a great tactic to be able to continue your ploy, even if you know it's just as harmful, if not more harmful. Okay. In the Talmud, in, uh, in Masechet Sanhedrin, we get this very, what's going to feel like left field tr- uh, commentary on why we're talking about just the finger of God. <clears throat> the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Rabbi Eliezer says, it's derived from here, that a demon cannot create an entity smaller than the size of a barley grain. Now you might read this and think, "Who cares? <laughs> right? Okay, awesome. Thanks for your note. Right? Why, why does that? Why does that matter? But what they're getting at, and this is the the non-bolded part, is the commentary, so that we can understand what the bolded was supposed to mean. Consequently, the magicians were not capable of duplicating the plague of lice as they realized that this was not an act of sorcery but was performed by God. So the fact that it was so small and so precise, right, Rabbi Kasher writes in his blog that um, it might have been really small, but if anybody's ever either had lice or worked in an institution that has lice or had friends that have had lice or children that have had lice, it doesn't feel so small, right? It takes over your whole life. Um, and But so the plague might have felt very big. But the intricacy of the plague itself and the, the minute detail of creating lice in this moment needed that of that of the finger. So the Maharal of Prague, the, uh, who writes the Gur Aryeh, says, he's, now he's commenting, sorry, we're on the back. On page two, well, I'm getting my page numbers in a little bit. On page two, He's now commenting on this part from the Talmud, and he says, The commentary on dark forces have no power over a creature that is smaller than a barley corn. There is a wondrous reason for this. For something which is the size of a barley corn at least has some substance which the dark forces can latch onto. Right? Yes, it's small, but there's still something there, right? It's still a size. You can still see it. If you can think of barley, like, You would be able to, if I was holding it right here, you would still be able to see it. Yeah, it would be small, but you'd be able to see it. Lice is not the same way. Uh, But something which is smaller than a barley corn is nullified into the whole of the world. Which when you read a sentence like that, you think to yourself, well, nullified means that it's not as important or less than. But then it says the whole of the world, right? If you can't see it, it might just be part of something so much bigger, right? Which we have no way of actually seeing the entirety of. This is why it is called barley. Seora is the Hebrew for barley. From the same language for measurement, which is sheor, right? To when you look in the Talmud and there's different measurements for things, that's the word that is used before it tells you, um... Uh, like uh, an ama or a tefach or right before it gives you a qualification of measurement, it tells you that it's going to be a certain kind of measurement. And for those of you who speak Hebrew, you see the connection. There's just a hay, right? That's the only thing that's different between the idea of barley and the idea of the word measurement, meaning that they, that they do have something for this size is measurable, but less than that becomes unmeasurable. And since it has no measurement, it just merges into the world. So this goes back to what Stewart says, that even if something is so small that it's hard for us to see kind of its, its impact, that's how we need to experience God. We need to experience God in those very small things, right? God created a plant that creates barley. So there are things that can be created that are very small. Some might even say God created lice. Right? We don't love to think that God created lives because why? Um, but, but God created things that are very, very small. Right? And if we take this away from just visualizing something that is small, we recognize God in very small moments much more than we recognize God in big moments. Right? We think of God in moments like birth, God in moments of death, God in moments of life cycles, and to us, those are big moments. But in the scheme of things, that's not a really big moment, right? We hope that lots and lots and lots of people are being born today. So in the scheme of our lives, it's huge. But the way in which God is interacting in that moment, if God is interacting in every ability for cells to become a living being, that's very small things that are making a very big impact, So I brought this and we're going to read one more verse from Torah and then I brought this because I think that right now we are at a place 99 days in to everything that's going on in Israel and to hostages being held hostage that the little things that are being done are making really big differences. And yeah, there are really big things also being done that are making big differences. But there's also many little projects and many people who you don't know and many organizations that are popping up with very few people to try to help that are doing lots of amazing things and making big impact even though they are very small. In the Torah later on, in about four parshiot, maybe five, Upon finishing speaking with God, uh, with Moshe, well, I'm giving God a lot of air today, with Moshe on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the two tablets of the pact inscribed by the finger of God. So not only can God use precision with God's finger, and we don't love to think of God as having any kind of human appendage, right, or, or face, or any kind of... Body like we have. But the fact that a Torah, that our law was written by the finger of God, whether or not you believe that that is fact or that is metaphor, in thinking about plague also being given by the finger of God, that's very impactful. Maybe more impactful than an outstretched arm, because if you can put your arm out and have a C split, that feels like magic. Whereas Writing a Torah takes intention and takes thought and takes precision. So I wanted to read you something that I think will will encapsulate um, this idea of small voices making really big moves. Which, by the way, I didn't even think about this, but this is the theme for Kol Fila, which is next week. Um, that there are people whose voices have been silenced or were small once and now are being made much bigger. Rachel goldberg Poland, who's 54, who I met, and so a lot of this I can speak to being very accurate, though this is from an article in the foreword. 54, a soft-spoken teacher who grew up in Chicago, is remarkably comfortable in the unwanted role she has inhabited since shortly after October 7th, the international voice and face and conscience of the hostage crisis. She's a very small woman. She's probably one, maybe 5'2", on a good day. With graying hair pulled back from her forlorn face, she mixes a relatable every-woman appeal with flashes of profound wisdom and righteous anger in a constant motion campaign. All the public speaking, all that stuff, would have before made me very nervous, she added, My voice would have been shaking. I would have been panicked for weeks beforehand. That does not exist anymore. When you've been so traumatized and so terrified, nothing scares you anymore. I'm going to skip a few paragraphs. Whenever I see you, this is this woman, Marcus Berman. That's her last name. I think her first name was Rachel. Uh, Whenever I see you saying something, I immediately post it. I just want you to know it is seen by all of us. Rachel told the group that she sometimes goes to her room and screams into a t-shirt, that a few Fridays before she had a real breakdown where the noises coming out of me had only occurred once before in her life, when she gave birth to Hirsch, the first of her three children without an epidural. If we have strength, it's a very primal maternal paternal drive, she said. The pain, it's a primal pain. I don't know what that we're always strong, but I think that we feel this driven need to do whatever we can to save him, and that's where the strength comes from. She was a teacher in Chicago, from Chicago, a teacher in Israel, who because of something that is so important to her and should be so important to everyone, she decided, hey, i got to be a very small person but with a very loud voice to make a difference. So tomorrow, already in Israel, is 100 days since all of this began and since Hirsch has been in captivity and so many others. And she asked that people put on their shirt tomorrow. She's been wearing a number every single day as to what day it's been since her son was taken into captivity. And she asked that at least tomorrow we all have a piece of tape that says 100 on our shirts To just be that little voice that can stand out and say, even a little finger or even a strong message coming from a shaky voice can really make a big impact. So I hope that with this idea that if God could do big wonders with a little finger, and if Moshe could write the law for our whole people with a finger... And if we could have someone who never before wanted to speak in front of anybody, let alone thousands and millions of people, that we too can find our very still, small voice and make a big impact in the days to come. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Betham Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.